Welcome to another episode of the Trees and Lines podcast. On part one of this two-part episode, Dr. Anad Prasad, chair of UAA Research Committee, joins us to discuss the evolution of safety in the vegetation management industry. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Anand. Thanks for joining our podcast today. Um, if you would, why don't you start us off by giving us your background, a little bit of your personal story, and uh, I guess as a researcher, you get to pursue whatever you want to. So tell us a little bit about those things you're most passionate about. Thanks, Phil. It's uh, it's great to be here, and I don't get to pursue everything that I want to, but um, a little bit of my background. I grew up, as you know, in the Caribbean. We have, you know, a lot of influence from, from, from England there, went to school in the English system, did a lot of my um, examinations out of the UK, uh, then uh, started, um, you know, at the University of the West Indies, undergrad and then uh, postgrad, and eventually here at the University of Florida, continued the education and um, and uh, worked on molecule, worked on a, a whole slew of topics in the natural area, uh, biological control, uh, get into the high fidelity PCR world was was interesting, and then um, then started a career. Had a choice of academic in the um, uh, at the university or you know corporate or hybrid, and I chose hybrid. So I've been I've been that hybrid person for the past um, eighteen twenty years. Um, you know, keeping some academia, keeping involvement in academia and supervising grad students along the way, but being. A, a player in the adaptive research world in the industry. And um, and that's what gets me here to be able to talk to you guys today, I guess. Yeah, good. Uh, I just got to spend a week with uh, Dr. Nan Persaud in uh, Belize. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But uh, I, boy, the number of things you've been involved with over the years is just amazing. Uh, I know now you are uh, got to focus on safety. Uh, tell us about some of the research you're doing and all the findings. Yeah, this is great because it's come full circle. I used to, in my postdoc, look at the human brain and uh, their relationship to insect bites and, and encephalitis and mosquito-borne diseases and so forth. And I never thought in my wildest dream that it would come full circle because some of the um, you know things that go on when you when you when you have these um, issues, um, you know things like zoning out, things like not paying attention. Things like being able to move between a cognizant and um, and the state where you're, you, you know, where you know what you're doing, sorry, to, to an emotional state and back um, is is delayed. Well, we're seeing that in our everyday lives, and I don't think everybody's um, being bitten by mosquitoes. So, so it's great to be able to revisit this in line in terms of safety. Um, and one of the things I've been doing is analyzing um, near misses and fatalities in our industry over the past few years. And, um, you know, there are, there are some uh, findings consistent with the fact that that we're not paying attention um, sometimes and why is the big question. And that, that's uh, been a journey, and it's uh, and I spoke about it at the Women's in Veg Management of the last few utilities, and we can probably talk a little bit about it here as well. I wanted to, like, understand a little bit more about, you know, your decision uh, to keep a foot in the research side of things, right? You know, you said you've been kind of splitting between some of your professional time and your academic time. What does that split look like? Yeah, it's been, it's, 
you know, Taj, it's been it's the it's been my the way that that I've always lived my life. I've been very very questioning, as you know, as a kid growing up, why why? And in the um, corporate world, there was there was uh, a lot of this is how you do it, and my questions has always been why don't we do it this way? And I've been what some people would call me a disruptor. Um, for one of a better phrase, and um, and and when you're when you're doing that, you do need to have some sort of research that goes into why do you do this and can it be done in a in a different way, in a better way, in a more timely manner, and so forth. So, so so my my life and my my it's been one of my passions really is to find out more around why things are the way they are. He's a disruptor, yeah. Tez. You can relate to that. Yeah, no, I definitely can. Yeah, for sure. A lot of your research is going to be dependent on the quality of the data that you're able to get. And how are you able to get your data? Do you have enough of it um, to kind of prove out some of the conclusions that you're you're kind of pointing to? Yeah, it's all factual. It's all, it's all accidents or near misses or... In some cases, it's surveys. So it does get into a little bit of the abstract world. As you know, research is an art and a science, right? And it does get into the it does get into that world where we ask people in you know a group of warm bodies, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And then we distill some some sort of relationship from this is what people are saying and this is what we are seeing, and um, and then we look for alignment. Oh, we we try to find the gaps and then we try to see how can we work in India in the industry to reduce the gaps or to take some of that air out of the out of the gap. So, Nan, I know one of our recent conversations, you talked about how uh, diversity impacts uh, the way people see safety. You know, maybe there's a difference between men and women or other cultural differences. Uh, do you have findings around that? Oh, absolutely. So there are several but great bodies of work out there that show when people are together for an extended period, they do start to think alike. And it's uh, studies done in isolated tribes. And for example, you know, there are tribes in Africa that um, they've lost the ability amongst themselves to know if somebody's fearful because it's uh, they're, they're, they've uh, worked together for so long that they become, you know, we call it nose blind if we have a pet in the apartment. I call this loosely brain blind where we basically... It may not be the best appropriate words, but but where we work together as a team, so we don't have that outside um, perspective or out, you know, a perspective from from another angle. And if, for example, everybody, let's say, on a bus is really, really, really um, uh, fearful of of a lion and on a safari coming on the bus, then uh, somebody may may do something awkward, like get out of the bus and run. Or they may all get out of the bus and, and be so fearful that mine is going to come out of the bus. If, however, you have a few brave souls who are like who are there to say, "Hey, that line is not going to get on the bus," then then you're going to have a sweet spot where people are going to say, "Well, okay, let's get to the middle." There's a potential for the line coming on the bus, but you know we're not going to get out and run. So that's sort of where having um, that perspective and that diversity of thought helps us. Can you? share some of your conclusions on the different demographics and what you've seen in terms of the people that are taking the high-risk work, what their demographic looks like and how they're interpreting safety and some of the topics versus some of the decision makers and, and folks that focus more on the corporate side of things. Like, what have you been able to draw out as it relates to this industry? 
Yeah, well, it's it's as you know, it's very dynamic, and things are changing all the time. Yeah, for there sure. Two fronts, there are two fronts on that. When we look at it, a lot of the incidents that I've recorded and looked at tend to be overreach. It tends to be the the that last effort or that last task at the end of the day or the the end of the week or someone someone you know or someone either there are two peaks either very early in your career or very late in your career and the scary thing is that it's both almost this, it's it's almost the same amount of incidents happening you know the the people the folks in the middle of the road tend to have and and that's where that's where our mix right we have a mix of you know of careers and it comes in and they tend to be safer as as a, as a pool um, yep. the second piece the second piece has to do with gender men and women do think about things differently and um it extends in our in our our um in our in our industry as well and um and this is one of the things we want to take into account as hiring managers when we mix our when we mix our work teams that are out there um you know women for some research that we've done if women are given a free choice and a pool of men are given a free choice to discuss what keeps them up at night what are some of the research what are some sorry of the of the factors that that going to their um into their personal uh, security and so forth or the security on the job the the women by far and large, large tend to focus on PPE and things that that secure themselves so things like we don't think about like cyber security would keep them up at night things like um having the you know good PPE uh, men on the other hand focus a lot on things like driving and whereas women don't put a um a huge emphasis on driving one would think that maybe they it's understood for them that they already think that everyone should be a safe driver so we're not going to you know spend gray matter on that and that's kind of where we see differences in our industry um and it's a plug for having having a gender mixed um group out there because like like that line on the scenario the bus having mixed mixed teams how receptive does the industry is the industry to that type of research right where you're you're trying to distill things by these unique differences in individuals has the industry or have you ever seen folks in the industry say okay that's pretty interesting we're going to use that information and then data and we're going to modify who we put in leadership positions as it relates to safety or execution or operations I think we we live in interesting times and it's starting to get a foothold. The times um the um the era now that changes upon us and change seems to be it just seems to be changing more and more. Change seems to be the constant. Um we are finding more I I'm certainly finding a more open door to this sort of um this sort of emergence um you know sort of emerging topics and um and uh it's uh it's getting traction, let's say. Um, you know, certainly at the last trees and utilities, it, it was it was a very popular uh, discussion point. And um, and I think back to your point on culture, there there's been a you know there there is there are records and research done that you know cultural bringing folks from different cultural backgrounds together does bring um, a common sense of improvement in the way the final product manifests itself. Because you get different perspective. It's a complicated conversation, especially in in our current environment today. Because 
there's lots of discussion around, you know, uh, equality, um, rightfully so, right, keeping things in balance. But I think you bring up a really interesting point where, you know, you want to almost take advantage of some of these differences that the data shows and put people in a position where you get a better return on sort of effort and work and the sharpness of something. How do you sort of prevent yourself from, you know, losing sight of a bigger sort of objective? I think I think the, the key here is always looking at what's next. As a researcher, you're always there looking at the emerging concepts and 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 you do contribute to building out some of the established information, but there's always data. And um, an and interpretation of that data helps drive information. And that's what, you know, our role as adaptive researchers, and I use the word adaptive because we're looking at real-world situation and, um, and, the, and the development of our, ourselves, development of our industry, and advancing our industry. You know, we want to leave, as researchers, we, we do want to leave the world a better place. And by and by getting into the emerging concepts and and you're right, it could be it could lead you down into a wormhole. The thing is, we have to be. That's why I use the word adaptive research a lot. You got to be pragmatic, so we're not here looking at necessarily you know too much abstract material, but keep our feet grounded in the real world. That helps. I think about safety. You know, in the United States here, you know, and everybody starts a chainsaw. They got their PPE on, the steel toe boots and everything else. But when you go to those frontline areas, they're nowhere near there. <clears throat> so how do you – do you try to move them to where we are or do you try to get them to evolve a step at a time? I think I think that's a, that's a really cool comment and I want to say that, you know, um, in our business, if you look at our industry – you know, in the in the in the uh, a few decades ago, it was uh, hugely. Um, you know, the people who would be working in our industry came from a farming background. Very early on, their culture, you know, was they knew sharp implements are going to cut. They knew that they had to set, spend dedicated time if they wanted to do it properly. All right, or don't do it at all. So they knew that, and that that culture. Um, is what helped our industry get to where we are, and you know, and and um, and what I see in some of the frontline areas is folks doing, you know, um, they're, they're trying to achieve with whatever tools they have. And yeah, PPE isn't a common thing. I've seen people in flip flops using chainsaws and so forth. And your first impulse is to gasp, right? But then I'm reminded of when I first uh, joined the business and I met a group of tree climbers who would tell me one of the safest climbers they know came from my neck of the woods from Trinidad and Tobago, but they could not train him to climb in, sh- in boots because he learned to climb without shoes in, coming from the you know the Caribbean. And um, But he never recorded an accident during his career. Back then, actually, he was allowed to climb, believe it or not, in North America without shoes, which is something we, we, we would probably gasp, you know, at right now. But, but that's, um, you know, that story, be, you know, be, beside itself tells us that, um, that folks are going to evolve in their own space in their own time. And you can be a catalyst for it, and you can help the, you can help the local industry work and bring their 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 this their business up. But when you look at at injuries in these places, it's very, very minimal. 
and I think it goes back to the farming days that I mentioned earlier, where a lot of these are practicing arborists in the frontline areas, or you know, they've grown up with sharp implements. They know from a kid that you know that this can be done in a safe space, and there are there are things that they themselves wouldn't do. We would think that they are oh, they're going to do everything, but they might actually tell someone, hey. You're holding that machete the wrong way, you know, or you can strike someone if you swing too far back, you know, and they themselves have their own safety code that sometimes works, you know. So we may look at it and say, wow, how do, how do they even survive at the end of the day? But we got to understand that there's a safety code operating. Like I've yet to hear of an indigenous tribesman in the Amazon basin getting poked by a spear from another one. Yet they walk in single file up and down all kind of terrain, you know, um, so, so, that's, so there is a code operating field that I think that um, eventually there would be formal, I think formal um, practicing um, arborists, you know, with acceptable codes at one level internationally. And that's where that's where that's where work like you know, just even this podcast is going to help. There's so many more distractions. So like we're, we, we are everybody's wearing all this protective equipment, there's manuals, there's training, yet we still have high-risk incidents. We tend to have lots of incidents. Is the conversation more about distraction? You know, you've got phones, you've got, you know, all these other things that can affect a person's concentration, right? Versus back in the day or some of the examples you're giving, like it, it just, it was a different time, you know, mental health was in a different place. Like there's all kinds of things today that I think are contributing factors to what may be leading to some of this stuff. Like I know it's a complicated thing to discuss and, and, and we're still kind of as a society figuring it all out, but have, have you started to shift to some of those questions and, you know, figuring out like, okay, use of technology on a personal level, right? Like this, this can be a real problem, right? And how much is this contributing to, Real incidents. Yeah, so so there, it's 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 funny, you know, because I know we haven't talked about this before, but um, there is something called a light pole study that, that I'm involved in, and it involves people walking into light poles, um, uh, being distracted. Right? It used to be, like you mentioned, in the good old days when you'd walk into a light pole when you're inebriated. You know, it's a Saturday evening, you've you, you've had a good hard, you know, you've you've had a good week and you're celebrating, etc. And you walk into light poles then. Um, we find that people are bumping and, and, you know, and I may be guilty of stumbling every now and again on a sidewalk here and there. But people are on their cell phones and you're right. Um, technology could be distractions and it could lead to safe, to some safety issues. Texting while driving, reading your phones, you know, et cetera, is, is something that we got to get on top of as a, as a, at a personal level, but also as an industry. It used to be fine in our industry to have um, a hands-free call while you're driving, right? It's no longer case in point and you, you realize, well, what's changed? Now, a lot of companies are insisting that you stop, you put your vehicle in park and you continue on the side of the road as a safe measure. So you no longer, you know, you'd be like, you know, like 10 years ago, it was fine to say, hey, yeah, it's okay. I'm, yeah, I'm on, I'm on the freeway, but I got you on speaker and that was fine. And now it's not. So when you look at the the evolution and how we can bring check-in mechanism before things get too far ahead, and I think that's where it is. It's it's a check-in, it's checks and balances, right? 
So technology, I, I think our advances are good, but we, we have to make sure they don't become a bane. You talked about, you know, people, maybe where the life cycle they are in their career and, and the impact that that may have, gender as an example. But it seems to me that, like, there's a disconnect with language, right? You've got people out in the, in the field performing high-risk work. Is, is there some relationship that you've, you've analyzed or dug into where you see possibly language being um, a bit of a key input to, you know, incidents, et cetera, because interpretation of safety metrics, culture, expectations, there's, there can be a gap because information is not disseminating uh, accurately. Have you, have you seen that relationship? Yeah, Taj, and that's a, that's a great question. And it's, it's, it's just trans, it's stuff lost in translation. So even though I've seen it happen with English speakers as well, where someone says A and by the time it gets down the line, it's A, right. Yeah. right? So I yeah. think at the end of the day, I think, I think we need to understand the, the industry. We've become a very, we were a very wordy, um, um, you know, we had very, very wordy rhetoric. We had to, to do X, Y, Z. You had a manual for this. You had a manual for that. And and and, and nobody reads. Nobody reads a three hundred booklet, right? Oh, I thought you were going to say nobody reads anymore. But yes, yeah, But the right. point is, I think I think what you what you bring up really revolves around training. And um, and also we we could incorporate I understand material to for the non English speakers, but I think we're getting to the point where we're using we're getting back to the hieroglyphic days right where we can start communicating and people already do it, you know O M G I D K you know they're using these acronyms for for things and you know and in our business and when it comes to safety. Sure, we're going to have to have rubric around the safety, the safety tenets, but also looking at it from from um, you know the perspective of um, adaptive learning. So you can tell someone, hey, the coffee in this mug is hot, don't touch it, or, or you can let them know, hey, what's in this cup? It's co- it's uh, coffee. Is it hot or cold? It's hot. So right away they know by asking them what's in here. And what is, and is it hot or cool? And they know it's hot. They, they know to themselves, they don't want to put their fingers in the mug to get burned. So, 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 so rather than tell people how to be safe, we need to inculcate in our training programs. I think in addition to language, there is that training evolution that we, we are heading towards. But I, I see, I think it's positive. I think we're, we're going to get there. It, it all comes back to how we, um, you know, how we, how we provide the material and how we, how we, yeah, and how we base it, how we, how we write it into our business plans and so forth. Safety should be a number one priority of any business plan we write. I think all the utilities and the leadership state that as a priority. However, I think where it's sometimes the disconnect comes in is it's, it's the execution, right? You know, there may be a plan, uh, there's a good there's a good roadmap there's a good blueprint but i think the inputs the people how you get there there's a lot of art and science there's a lot of complicated elements and to your point i think um and i you know i even think of myself sometimes when you're doing like corporate training right like it's 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 like you're being injected with all this information it's just how much are you actually retaining and and so getting people to uh understand information and, and making it sticky 
so that when they're in complicated situations, they know how to apply that information. I think that journey is, is, is complicated, right? Because it involves people. And so I, I, I think it's, I see it from a very practical perspective, right? And so I'm trying to connect these dots, right? This incredible research, great philosophies, great ideas. And so, but at the end of the day, there's somebody on the other end who needs to take that information and execute some plan. And the amount of environmental factors that impact that execution are, there's many, right? There, you know, there's, there's uh, performance metrics, there's a pressure to get something done, there's, right? And, and so I'd be interested to see as your data evolves, when you factor in some of those variables, how much things get skewed, you know, how do you prevent that? How do you hedge against that? You know, what are, what are the steps that allow that blueprint to stay true to, you know, making sure that in fact, safety is the priority? It'll be interesting to see the evolution of your, of your research. Yeah, I agree. I think the execution, you know, is a big, is a big uh, piece of it. And and one of the things we all we we tend to leave out in our in our considerations, um, is is time time allotments for a task, and even and even in training we talk about okay we're gonna dedicate we're gonna dedicate this much in a budget for training. What does that translate in terms of time management training? What does that translate into, um, you know, time is, people say time is money, right? We got to say time is safety. We got to, we got to start there. If you can get, if you can get that tagline out there, I'll buy you a really nice dinner. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I'm working on it. (laughs) So Nan, we probably need to wrap this up. Before we go though, uh, what would you like to leave the audience with? I, I think the message, the message of time, um, you know, we live in an interesting time period in our, in our t- development, human development. And I think time is of the essence. And also, you know, like I said earlier, time is safety. Um, time is productivity. Let's find the balance. And I, I think, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Very good. Dr. Well, thank you for being with a, us and on. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it was sure. a real pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Trees and Lines podcast, brought to you by Iapetus Infrastructure Services. If you like the show, please give us a rating of five stars on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.